Welcome to another episode of the Middle West Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Musa. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi Peace be upon you all. I'm joined by my co-host remotely today because we're still complying with the lockdown. Uh, Ahmed Swalhey, assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. And we're joined today by a performance specialist um, to talk to us about all things health-related, all things Ramadan and training-related, uh, Usama Mushtaba, who's dialing in from Toronto, Canada. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. How you doing, bro? Uh, really good. How about yourself? Very good. Thank you, man. Really appreciate you joining us uh, from a different time zone. Uh, <laughs> we've, used, uh, we've used the lockdown to kind of benefit us in letting us dial in people uh, a bit more from other places. And also, this is our second or third video episode. So, you know, we've, we've chosen you as uh, the, the face of the podcast. Um, because I feel... I feel- Incredibly privileged. Thank you, bro. Appreciate he's got a face for, for a video podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Continue yeah, a joke from previous episodes. Yeah. My, my face is only good for a radio podcast. Um, um, so first question for you, I guess, for me, uh, is to start off is, what is a performance specialist? All right. So basically, I gave myself this title and made it up to make it sound a little better than actually what I am, which is a strength and conditioning coach. So which, which you've is, got kind which of is like- equally confusing to me. 100%. So you've got like different kinds of uh, trainers, basically. Effectively, anyone that calls themselves a performance specialist, a coach of any kind is really just kind of to do with the human body. So you've got personal trainers who generally work with kind of everyday population, one-to-one training sessions that's what they do you have strength and conditioning coaches and then performance specialists who basically majority of who they work with is athletes and that's kind of the difference if you're a strength and conditioning coach you work with athletes mainly if you're a personal trainer you work with kind of general population so those are the main difference and then i put performance specialists in there really because it sounds way better than strength and conditioning coach but so. what so formally what is the what is a title performance special like you're essentially helping athletes unpack their strength and perform better in so their... my, my official title is uh according to my certification which is a certified strength and conditioning specialist that's what i am which actually okay. we should have gone with that because that sounds way better but um, yeah, so that's basically well, what know, I am. We, we, uh, we just introduced you the way you want us to. Yeah, that's true. So I should have thought of that. Um, you need, you need um, different qualifications for to be a personal trainer versus strength and conditioning um, coach. So I could be a personal trainer as a certified strength and conditioning specialist, but a personal trainer couldn't be a strength and conditioning coach. Right. So it's one that's level kind of the way that it works. Well, yeah, um, that is, it's just mainly like the populations that you work with kind of determine what collocation you need to get. Uh, if you're a strength and conditioning coach, you're working um, really with the nitty gritty of, of what it takes to be an athlete. So generally, you know a little bit more about kind of the human body, how it works, uh, the biomechanics of how different exercises work and how they translate through to sport, whereas a personal trainer may not necessarily know that however there's a lot of personal trainers that obviously do know a lot more than some strength and conditioning coaches just simply because they've been in the game for longer so it really honestly it's kind of like university you do the qualification and then you actually start learning that's, that's a very nice way to put it um in that a lot of a lot of fields we go into it i think apart from like medicine and dentistry and stuff where maybe you get a lot of the training on the job uh, whereas like with engineering, for example, you start off, you know, a basic, and then actually when you get into the field, um, is when you start figuring out how did you segue into this field though? Cause, um, you know, in yeah, Sheffield so, where I met you, yeah. you were doing engineering. Yeah. So, um, I studied, uh, chemical engineering at, uh, Sheffield uni. And basically what happened was I played American football there. So anyone that went to university with me knows that I played American football, just simply because of the fact that that's all I would talk about. Um, and and you were the only that, brown person on the team. Yes, exactly. And still, well, I think like the Probably only, the only brown, brown person Muslim, on both teams. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I might have been a trailblazer though, because in my last year, I saw a lot of brown people on, on different teams, man. In my first year, I really didn't know. Um, but yeah, so I started playing American football. Prior to that, I played basketball and then the standard Asian sport, which is cricket. You know, everybody plays God, cricket, Got to right? be done. 100%. I was a fast bowler. Exactly. Um, I like to think I was a fast bowler. In reality, I probably was like a medium pace bowler. But 
uh, one of the things that I absolutely loved about like fast bowling and the things about cricket is just basically like high velocity, high speed movements. Um, and then I transitioned into playing basketball with a couple when of my you, mates. When you say school. high speed, high velocity movements, is that, I, I, I mean, cricket isn't a very high speed, high velocity. Anything? Bowling is though, right? Right. So you have like a short period of time bowling. where you put a lot of action in, a lot of 100%. effort in. Okay. Exactly. And that was the bit that I loved because I was, I was good at bowling too. So, um, but yeah, anyway, to, to go on to uh, kind of how I made the transition while I was at university playing American football. Uh, one of the things that I did was I was always fascinated on like, I know that, you know, there's a lot of people that go to the gym, you know, you might watch Rocky one through five and you kind of see that he's doing like one handed push ups, He's doing a couple of bicep curls and all of a sudden he's got abs and like quads and you kind of like, well, how did that work? And growing up, that was the gym mentality that I had, which is you go into the gym, you do some bench press, you do some triceps, and then you're good to go. Like you're going to have, you know, a, a, a very aesthetically pleasing body that is then going to be useful in sport. In reality, that's not the case. And I found that out in my first year of playing football. I was one of the stronger guys on the team. When I say football, I mean American football. I was one of the guys, the stronger guys on the team, but I couldn't hit anyone you know, with, with any sort of force or power compared to the way that guys that were lifting less in the gym could hit um, me with. So I uh, met the head strength technician coach who was also a coach on the American football team. I started doing some interning for him, started learning from him a little bit about uh, what so I he, he became your peer, basically. Yeah, he was, exactly. He was your first peer. He's my, well, not my first, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my first peer. Um, yeah, no, so he just kind of like took me under his wing. He helped me. I learned through coaching lots of different athletes in terms of like force vectors and everything that you learn in mechanics class in maths is everything that you then apply in strength and conditioning. Um, I started to learn all of that. absolutely love the performance side of this whole like how far we can take our genetic potential and being Bengali our genetic potential is <laughs> is already so much lower like we are known as the mediocre people of the world like we don't start fights <laughs> we, we don't we don't do anything we're just like mediocre um, I, I don't know if there's a if there's <laughs> if there's a live genetic kind of uh I don't know evolutionary or the way we the way we always work kind of thing to it um, I, I, honestly I have no idea but all I knew is that naturally without understanding anything and everything that i do to my body is then going to have a, a, an effect without understanding the effects that my training had I, I had no chance of playing american football against some of these guys who you have you have guys you know from all over the world um we ha you have one very particular guy from a certain part of the world who looks at a dumbbell and gets massive and then get super strong and then I, I, is the best I, I don't, I don't the follow team. the reference are you saying the african subcontinent okay okay <laughs> you, know, you know it's a continent not a subcontinent right <laughs> sorry continent. that's my bad okay okay so i guess there's there's some points on that that you've kind of put down that actually um people from the indian subcontinent actually are not we're not physically or genetically inclined to be the strongest people um do you think there's a culture aspect to it because generally um in Muslim communities, like we're more about eating. We're not, or I say Muslim community, but really what I mean is Asian communities, right? Yeah. Or in India, Pakistani, Bengali, uh, Sri Lankans. We're more about the eating rather than there's not really a culture around activity. We don't go out for hikes. And, um, and, and what, yeah, one, a couple of the few previous guests we've had on the podcast we've talked about is like, you know, they were the only people hiking. Um, yeah. And when you go hiking, you don't see a Muslim guy, just like with you. You were in varsity sport, which is kind of, you know the the quintessential athletic kind of peak of uh, of of uh, of universities in the UK, and actually, how many how many brown people are competing? Um, no, and how many how many Muslims are there as well? Um, so it's funny that you say how many Muslims are there. Just a side note. Um, well, I mean, really, not that many, especially in a sport like American football. So at, at halftime, you have what's called the halftime show, right? That's kind of a big thing in America. It's not really a big thing here, but typically what happens is American football teams are associated with cheerleaders. Okay. So the cheerleaders would come on at halftime and do the halftime show. And, you know, as, as like, um, forget it. I don't even need to say anything. Uh, during the halftime show, during the halftime show, it was Vora time. 
So it was the midday prayer time. So for me, that's the only time that I'm going to get to pray because an American football game is like four hours long. And if you play okay. in the winter, that means you're going between Zuhur, Asr and Maghrib sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I would have to pray. So they've got the music on in the background and there's the only Muslim guy on the fist. I knew I was the only Muslim guy because I was the only one praying. And then, you know, you get the standard odd looks, you get a couple of the, you know, the, 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 the white guys walking in front of you, the non-Muslim, just walking in front of you, realizing that you're praying and then like mid prayer coming up to you and being like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not realizing that you can't communicate yeah. with them while you're praying. But no, 100%, like I knew that um, being... Did you, did you get any pressure from within the Muslim community that, you know, you need to stop this, you're putting yourself in, you're putting yourself in... in fitna a difficult, stuff. yeah, in, in fitna, yeah, in fitna. Yeah, in fitna. It, um, man, honestly, like, you can put yourself in fitna walking down the street, like, you can put yourself in fitna doing anything, anything in life. Like, there's, there's probably, in terms of, we're talking about fitna, in terms of trials of, you know, what we're talking about, which is women, right? Um, there's probably more fitna in the IC than there is anywhere else. When, when you say IC, you mean like a library, information a library, library. Yeah, a library. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, um, yes, a couple of people did mention to me, uh, a couple of brothers and, and stuff like that, mentioned to me like, oh, you know, there's these cheerleaders and everything like that, and it's just like, well, at the end of the day, you you put yourself in the situations that you want to be in fundamentally. So if you don't want to, no, I guess in, yeah, it's about it's about how you how you take how how you want to spend your time in the team. Because obviously in different other sports, like you've got, you know, the stereotypical rugby team yeah, um, going out and drinking and stuff. You don't see many, um, you know, Muslim, Muslim rugby well, players at you. Well, 100%. And I think that's a little bit of a problem with the sports system. And that's something that I addressed while I was playing American football. The sports system is very much, and it's, it's a British culture thing. So I get it. And it, you know what, it's not even a British, it's a, it's a, entirely like non-muslim culture to do it and that's cool um people want to drink and that's how they socialize the social aspect of the team is we're gonna do this activity but we're gonna add alcohol to it so naturally there's a lot of practicing muslims who would kind of stray away from that because of the fact that it's fitna and, and i get it 100 but one of the things that i tried to do from early on i was captain in my second year all the way through to my fifth year so I had a little bit of influence in the team because I worked, again, through strength and conditioning really hard to become an athlete on the team that then was able to do the job on the field so well that nobody cared where I was after the game. Mm. So after the game, when everybody was going to, to bar one and stuff like that, I, I was, which is the, the like university bar at, at Sheffield, um, I just went home and had KFC if we won. If we won, I had a rule, you get chicken. Winners get chicken, losers get home cooked food um okay. so that's what that's what i did so i i drove to kfc i had the kfc i brought it home and i watched the film or like I'd, I'd chill with you guys um and that's the way that i did it and and a lot of the time what would then happen was because of the fact that i was a captain and i i was very well acquainted with a lot of the guys in the team they'd con they'd always ask me to go out on socials and i'd say well unless you're not going to drink i'm not coming out I'm not going to come out and chill with you just simply because of the fact that when you guys drink, you drink and that's fine. You do you, but as a Muslim, that's not something that I can do or so even be around. You talk about so, social acquaintance and stuff. And I guess there's, there's not a lot of Muslims who are close friends. I, I think maybe that's a problem where a little bit sometimes isolationist as a community, but yeah. also, especially if you're in the sport sector um, and, you know, varsity, that kind of thing, you're with a lot of guys who are kind of, um, to use an American term, since you've uh, emigrated jocks. to the to the prom, yeah, they're jocks basically, um, yeah. and they tend to have views that are sometimes more difficult to reconcile with. Um, so a lot of people, again, and a lot of immigrants generally, um, I think when we speak, sometimes we tend to use immigrant and Muslim interchangeably, which I think is not mm -hmm. fair, um, yeah. and I think is not is, is very important to make that distinction because not every Muslim is an immigrant, hundred percent, even if at the moment. Okay, uh, but, but yeah, my point is a lot of people feel like they can't be in that space because they either won't be accepted or there will be so There'll much be disagreement much that now. they'll struggle to socialize. I, I'm, just, yeah. I'm not just talking about the fitness, I'm talking about like the social relationship you make with someone who's right. from a completely different background to you. Um, so so to, to that, I'd say you're making excuses for yourself, like straight up, 100%. If you think that you can't socialize with someone who isn't a Muslim, because, you know, or, or if you're an immigrant Muslim and you think that 
like you at, at university as well you make an excuse for yourself because it's not like that that people have very open minds they're very conscious of who you are and, and a lot of the time actually it's one thing that my dad used to teach me so my dad was a chemical engineer hence why i did chemical engineering um oh, one of the things classic. that he used to do 100 percent classic asian right um one of the things that he used to do at work was in the middle of like an important meeting, it'd be Vahar time or Asur time, he'd just go out and pray. And eventually he conditioned his um, colleagues to realize that at 1 p.m., Iqbal goes and prays. So sometimes they were getting into the heat of this meeting and it'd be 1 p.m. and his colleagues would just be like, Iqbal, and just point to their wrist. And he'd understand, he'd, he'd realize that, oh man, I haven't gone and prayed. And he'd go and pray. And in the same way, what I used to do in the strength and conditioning room at the university, at, whenever we were like going on longer haul trips for the American football team, my guys would remind me to pray. It wouldn't be the other way around. So, so if Imagine, you're imagine getting yeah, that from yeah, your non-Muslim friends. No, 100%. But if your guys... Should, should you really need to be reminded, bro? Come on, bro. <laughs> this is true no but if your guys are reminding you to pray then evidently they're open enough for you to be able to have these kinds of conversations about well hold up no i don't i don't drink alcohol and i don't you know like do the things that you guys do on nights out but i'm more than happy to like chill with you our chill might be different but you guys know and i think every muslim every young muslim right now in the world knows that in place of bars and clubs, what do we have? We have dessert bars. And, and shisha, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I, guess, I guess you've brought, up a very, you've brought up a very good point, which is that from an Islamic perspective, there's a big emphasis on developing yourself. There's like a, you know, Amr al-Khattab went to some guy who was a bit fat and he poked him with a stick and said, what the hell are you carrying around? Um, I'm, I'm sure he didn't use those exact that. words, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but like there's, there's a big emphasis on it yet in the health sector, you're, or sorry, in the, in the fitness industry, um, uh, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of Muslim people out there and actually we should no, be at the forefront leading it. Um, I think that's a, that's a big thing is that uh, a lot of the time Muslims, uh, and I'm obviously using this as a broad term for like all Muslims and even Asian people, because it's kind of a cultural thing too, in that we don't see physical fitness or exercise or sport related activity as something that's valuable because it doesn't bring us monetary income. Like, and straight up, that's what it is. A, a, a lot of the time, uh, you know, if our parents were immigrants and my dad and mom were immigrants, they moved to England. A lot of the time it was a struggle for them just to feed the family and you know things like that so naturally when we were brought up we were brought up with academia is the thing that you have to do to make sure that everyone's kind of like well taken care of well sport doesn't really sports a hobby for a lot of people so what happens is when you then get into later life people see this thing that used to be a hobby and they're like well okay i'm very busy with work with kids with family stuff like that let me just throw out those hobbies and make but then how, how did your parents take it when you gave up this you know so this was lucrative career um, in chemical engineering to go 100 uh, it's funny because i talked to probably one of the most successful uh, strength and conditioning coaches in the college industry in the states i went to michigan state university he's been there for 40 he's been a strength and conditioning coach for 44 years and he's the longest tenured strength and conditioning coach in the world um his name's ken manny and i spoke to him and i said coach how do i get on your level and he's like why didn't you just stick with engineering like this is a successful strength and conditioning coach telling me that i picked the wrong career path um, so you know standard right um, I, I guess it's but, so there's there's people who make really good money but it's a lot harder in the strength and conditioning world 100 percent. you have to be willing to be at the forefront of it all and like always constantly learning always constantly like you know, knocking on people's doors for opportunities. Whereas if you go to university, study engineering and you're su successful enough to maybe get on a graduate engineering program from there, your life is relatively set in terms of money, in terms of stability and everything like that. So that was one of the big concerns for my family was that as I started to learn more as a strength and conditioning coach and probably about my third out of five years of uni, um, my fourth year of uni was a year in industry. So I actually worked as a chemical engineer, as a process engineer on a plant. Um, third year, I realized that maybe I want to make the career switch. Fourth year, 
while I worked on plant, I realized that definitely I want to make that career switch. Because the thing about, and I think this is different for every Muslim and every person in general, depending on your personality, like my, my questions on, on the day of judgment for me are going to be, how did you use your time? You know, not, not, and I can't, I can't, I don't think I could consciously answer a question with, with full like conviction that, yeah, I just kind of sat in an office and lots of money and just relaxed and stuff like that. Like my skills are in being able to talk to people, being able to help people with that, obviously their human performance and stuff like that. And if I have that skill and I know that I love it to the point where I will then work very hard to help people then why am I not using I guess this skill? is an immigrant diaspora thing, right? Is that it's, it's high risk, high return to go into yeah. an industry where um, there's more pressure on you, but actually you'll be doing something you're passionate about. Um, yeah. I, I remember asking a lot of immigrants about job security and, uh, mm -hmm. and they're just like, oh, sorry, not job security, job satisfaction. And they're just like, what? Yeah. Getting, you're getting a paycheck. Why do you need to be happy? Yeah, what, what um, is job satisfaction? 100%. Yeah. I guess that's, um, a, that's, uh, that's a segue off into the immigrant bit. I wanted to bring you back to yep. kind of uh, strength and conditioning, but also fitness and, um, yep. and bring that in a little bit into some of the things that we see, I guess, especially in Britain, uh, in, in the British Muslim uh, community. Um, there's, sure. a, there's a lot of, and I feel like a lot of fitness is very, uh, it's, it's a lot, uh, it's, it's related closely with, um, with like lad culture. Yeah. So, you know, you want to get those big muscles, you want to you wanna have them gains, um and and it's it's really about you know do you even lift bro and how much do you bench um, how much do you bench yeah exactly 100 yeah. what the circumference of your arms are basically yeah and <laughs> and what you i think you alluded to when you said you started playing american football actually you didn't have a lot of strength per se um i didn't have transferable strength through to the game of american football i had strength so i could squat heavy i could deadlift heavy i could bench heavy but a lot how much of the time, what happened is Legit, how much so benching? at the time I was benching. So in my first year of uni, I was benching maybe uh, ninety five hundred kilos for a couple of reps. Yeah, so like I was strong one hundred percent, but that didn't trans translate through. And the reason it didn't translate through, just quickly, is whenever you're trying to do anything in life, you need to look at the force vectors through which you move. Like which direction are you actually moving? And in American football, most of the time it's a forty five degree angle to the horizontal. So you're like this, you're moving in that direction. Well, a squat is this way, a bench press is this way, a deadlift is this way. So a lot of the time, if you're just lifting in the gym for the sake of getting strong, you're not getting, and it's called human strength. You're not actually gaining human strength. So you're gaining of, gym strength. Yeah, a lot, and, and I guess it comes into like, there's a, there's a big culture around, or a lot of the guys who lift, actually, there's a, they'll say that one of our main emphases is, you know, as a Muslim, you, you need to be prepared to defend your family and that kind of thing. Which but it's I more about is, aesthetics than, yeah. than actual transferable. Because again, you know, people who do stuff like martial arts, um, they're more prepared, you know, for that reason, you know, to, to defend 100%. family and stuff than someone who bench presses 100%. 100, 100. Well, the first thing I'd say is where do you live that you need to protect your family so much? Because if you live in England, I mean... Going to the gym and worrying about the protection of your family, it's a bit of a, I'm sorry, it's a little bit of an outdated. It's, 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 like, it's a little bit about, it's the, it's the kind of, what do you call it, glorification of the, yeah. of the medieval past and, and kind of living 100%. in that age where people yeah. are going out, you know, I want to be hench like Khalid bin Walid kind of thing. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. I, I think it's super important for, for Muslims especially and, and like, and again, like within our Asian community, to get involved in, in that kind of, whether it's activity, sport, whatever, but you need to be physically active. Because actually what's funny is we as Asian people, so people from like, you know, uh, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, China, Korea, stuff like that. Um, actually, a lot of the time what you'll find is the toilets that are back home are the ones that you squat down into. Yeah. So as a result of that kind of physical adaptation that we've created for ourselves, a lot of us have great mobility in our ankles, our knee, oh, well, not really knees because you can't have mobility in your knees, um, and our hips and our shoulders. We have a lot of mobility everywhere, which means you that we you have You tell me going to the toilet like that gives you high mobility in your shoulders. 100%, bro. Try it. Yeah, wow. yeah mm -hmm. 100%. And also, it's better for your uh, bladder release. So you can actually go to the toilet better 
Dude, I mean, for, for thousands so of years, that's how humans went to the... 100%. So that's, again, that's like um, a sort of evolutionary, yeah. But if you look at that evolution in the West, toilets were developed earlier than in the East. So that means that in the East, people are still doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot of the time, and, and again, because of like the, the um, socioeconomic disparity between the East and the West, that still happens in the East. Like we're still sitting down. And as a result of that, we're blessed with great mobility in our knees and our hips. And one of the things that I see with a lot of people is that if you don't nurture that, especially as an Asian person, you lose it immediately. It's very easy to lose. And if you don't nurture that, here's what happens. If I have knee pain, a lot of the time it isn't because of the muscles around my knee causing things that create pain in my knee. It's actually my lack of what's called dorsiflexion, so bringing the toe towards the shin, which is something that you do when you do a deep squat, i.e. on that Indian toilet, right? Okay. So it's something that you do. Now, if you lose it, you then potentially not only have foot problems like plantofasciitis on all of that kind of stuff, you also have problems with your knees, which then translates all the way up to your hips or vice versa. You have problems in your hips because you sat down at an office chair all day and that translates down to your knees, into your lower back, and we get all of these problems. And the thing with a lot of... Um, Asian people is that generally heart disease, obesity, diabetes, all of this are way more prevalent in our societies than anywhere else. So not only are you compounding to the fact that, you know, you're already at risk of that kind of stuff, but then if you risk lacking movement capability, because you just stop moving, well, then you're going to get obese quicker, aren't you? Because we're, you we're, doing, we're doing the worst of both worlds. We're eating 100%. the rich food with the high oil content and, and very sweet 100%. kind of uh, metais and stuff, and then combining it with that, uh, with, with the sedentary lifestyle. Well, what's, what's the standard thing that, like, you know, if you talk to any Asian person, they'll tell you about, like, you know, English cooking? It's bland. It's got no flavor, right? Because it's like salt and pepper and whatever, and everything else came from wherever the British Empire went and took spices from. Well, right? and, and, then they, and then they still didn't use them. So it's just a 100%. waste. Colonization was a waste because they didn't fix their food. 100%. But um, yeah, no, 100, that, that's the thing is that within our communities, flavor is a big thing within food. So naturally, there's a lot of fat. There's a lot of like butter, ghee, whatever in our food. And as a result of that, we, we don't, we're not um, active we have a higher caloric intake than the general kind of English person might do. And then we lose mobility because of the fact that we're sat down. And again, it comes from that thing of, well, okay, if I'm an engineer, that's going to take care of my family. What does an engineer do most of the day? Sit down. You sat at a desk. So you're just at all three things that you're doing in your life are, are really detrimental to your health. Um, so one of the reasons that I became a strength and conditioning coach and we go back to that and, and kind of recommendations for people is that I think a lot of Muslims, and that's why you don't see many Muslim strength and conditioning coaches, don't realize the impact that, that every single, the little things that you do every day really affect you. So if you're not getting up and being active at least three, four times a week, then you are going to end up losing out. And as a result, you're going to have a shorter life. And from an Islamic perspective, man, like, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have 70 years, if I can help it, of, of trying to get myself to heaven than 50 years because yeah, of the I fact that I get myself just, heart disease. You just, you just <laughs> count the number of Ramadans you get. 100%. But and, I, th yeah. I think I want to I take it on two directions, right? So one is, what are your recommendations for the general public um, sure. to kind of, and, and I, I guess we'll bring it into Ramadan in a bit. Um, yeah. So recommendations for the general public is that if you're working out about three times a week, you're, doing, you're already doing pretty good, right? But that being said, it depends on where you start. The answer in strength... But if you're, if you're working out, just kind of doing those, uh, I'm not sure what you call them, what single movement, not, not compound well, So movement. I'm going to give recommendations for like the, what you need to do, right? But first things first, if you're somebody who isn't super active, just start by like walking once a week if you do no exercise whatsoever get out of the house and walk for half an hour that in that category i would put like older people slash people with a that maybe have, have kind of like over the years become very overweight very unhealthy stuff like that have you That's heard, have you heard of that, that app called the couch to 5k yes so and, and that, it just backed as well and it just backed so, 
so that's a great initiative. Again, I have problems with things like that just purely because of the fact that it's great getting people to exercise, but if somebody's been sat down and everything like that, a lot of the time what ends up happening is you end up ruining their movement through, through running because all that you're doing is you've created bad movement patterns and then you're running a 5K in, I don't know, a couple of weeks. What you have in terms of like strength and conditioning is called acute to chronic workload ratio. And that's the main reason that I'm saying if you haven't done anything, start by just walking for like four weeks. Walk once a week just for four weeks and see if you can do that. The main thing that you need to do is build a habit. So these initiatives are great for getting people excited about activity, but um, we can talk about motivation. That's not going to give you motivation because true motivation in terms of exercise is getting up and exercising when you don't want to do it. That's what true motivation is. It's not feeling good about, oh man, today I'm going to absolutely smash it with my exercise. I'm going to run 10K then I'm going to be injured for four weeks and not do it again. And then I'm going to have to build myself back up to do so, it. Like, so how, how do you recommend motivation so, to just do a walk, which is a bit boring? Again, there's nothing that I can recommend in terms of motivation. It, if, if walking is boring for you, find something that's fun. Okay. Like whatever it is, you just need to find something that's fun that gets you up and increases your daily caloric uh, energy expenditure. How about so walking how much for the nearest message for Salah? 100%. I'm, I'm more about walking, walking to the nearest grocery store for because the messages are closed. The grocery stores are open, so you can get do your you know chocolate. What the thing is, do you know what the thing is? If you walk, and this might be something that people disagree with me on, but that's the elitist mentality. I'm talking about the everyday population that isn't healthy. If you walk to the shop to get an ice cream, make sure the shop is like a 15-minute walk away. But have your ice cream, no problem. Like... It, it, the, the biggest thing, and I'll, I'll talk about it from my perspective. When I first moved to Canada, things were such a struggle, hashtag immigrant life, that um, me and Rachel, my wife, we did not work out properly for about seven or eight months. For seven or eight months, we worked out once every three weeks. We had a training session once, every, and I gained a lot of weight. Now, one of the things that I did for myself, even as a coach, we still go through these kinds of struggles. One of the things that I did for myself was I didn't care about my diet for the next year after that. So for the next year, I didn't care about losing weight. I cared about building a healthy relationship with exercise again. Because there is research that shows it sounds that like it's it can a person. be fat. No, 100%. It, what it is, it really is. You have to treat it like that. You have to nurture that relationship with exercise so that you can do it for life. Because if you get motivated to do it tomorrow, but then the next day you lose that, lose that motivation because your motivation or source of was watching a YouTube video uh, uh, on well, like... I, I know, guess we, we have a lot on. of crash diets and we're very results focused, which is that, 100%. you know, I lost 10 kilos in the past four weeks yeah. and that's good, but the, anything the else? Major, the major result that you need to be worried about is your relationship with food and exercise. So I don't... If I'm trying to eat unhealthy, I want to eat a pizza. I don't feel guilty about eating a pizza. I'm just going to go ahead and eat a pizza because I know that the rest of my week is pretty healthy. So when I, when I eat my pizza, I'm like, man, I'm just going to enjoy this pizza right now. But anyway, I, I digress. We'll yeah, but my, my problem is I'll enjoy the pizza and then the rest of the week won't be healthy. Well, that's the thing. But th that's fine as long as you're working on yourself in other ways, right? If you're, if you're not working on the diet thing just yet, don't worry about it, work on the exercise thing. Or if it's easier for you to not really exercise a lot and focus a little more on your diet, then do that. One or both of them is gonna make you healthier. Um, so my recommendations for people, first things first is diet is very hard for a lot of people. To get a good diet is, is, is very tough and it's something that is underestimated, but it affects your mental health so much in terms of what you're eating that I think a lot of people who are already ripped and have six pack, they don't realize and all they say is it takes discipline, abs are made in the kitchen, all this stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, just make yourself a healthier person first. So to make yourself a healthier person, if you're starting from scratch, just commit to exercising once a week, get that right for four weeks or 30 days, build the habit over 30 days and then be like, right, I'm going to do it every fortnight. I'm going to do two. And then every other week, I'm just going to do one exercise sessions a day sweet all right i've done that man it might take you a year it might take you two years to build that habit but inshallah once you've built that habit then you'll be able to continue it on for life 
Now, the general recommendation for everyone in terms of like, you know, staying fit is you do three things to make sure that you take care of all your fitness. So you do one thing that gets your heart rate up, right? Cardio. So that could be, yeah, cardio, 100%. Okay. Uh, that could be any form of cardio, whether that's a power walk, whether that's just a normal walk. If a you're power walk? Fit. Yeah, you walk faster, right? Um, well, I was just what, like, aunties do, like, no. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> it, it has its benefits, right? Okay. You go on a cross-trainer, you go on a bike, whatever it is that you want to do, you get something that raises your heart rate, so you do cardio. The second thing that you need to do is you get something that makes you sweat a lot. So you get something that, like, quote-unquote, kills you. That's a high-intensity interval training session, right? You're working a different energy system. You're making sure that you can burn calories in a very short amount of time. That's like your 20-minute hit workout kind of thing. And then you do one thing that challenges you mechanically. So you do like strength training. Okay. If you're doing those three things, you can be pretty healthy throughout the rest of your life. So when you're doing this and, and you're saying this should be your lifelong routine, um, now bringing this back to Ramadan, does this change yeah. during Ramadan? Do you, do you personally, do you keep the same uh, routine up? Or, or the, so or in, in Ramadan, what, what I've actually been doing is I've been having about half an hour to 45 minute maximum workouts right before I break fast, right before iftar, I'll do and I'll do I'll make it a combination of things that I, I enjoy and things that are going to help. But the main focus is just to be physically active. The lesser fo the focus, well, the thing that I'm not even focused on is maintaining my gains or like making more gains or anything like that really what i'm trying to do is just make sure that i'm still healthy throughout the month of ramadan because there's no research that goes to show that you lose strength in one month of detraining like absolutely none i've read the research there isn't any right you might lose a little bit of speed and power so if you're an athlete that's looking to train in ramadan you need to be doing some speed sessions so that you can keep ticking over till the end because the research shows that that is takes your, about your... two weeks does your, I mean, I guess you're, you're probably doing the exercise at the end of your fast. And I think in Canada, they're nearly as long as we have them here in the UK. Yeah, they so are. you're probably There's at the about, lower energy level of your... 100%. Um, but in terms of strength training and the kind of workouts that I'm doing, because it's only 45 minutes, yes, I might have less energy to do it. But if I can motivate myself to do it and, and, and then I, I actually do the training session, I'm still just keeping healthy. That's the goal is to just keep healthy. Um, this can be for a lot of, especially because we're in quarantine right now, a lot of Muslims that maybe don't necessarily have that exercise habit, you can go ahead and use that 45 minutes prior to, man, like just go for a walk. Again, just keep yourself active. I think one thing that a lot of Muslims miss within Ramadan is that we're so focused year round. If you're a gym bro or a gym gal, you're so focused year round on gains and, if, if and you're mo yeah. getting muscle and getting strength and stuff like that. So you don't realize that actually the purpose of Ramadan is not that at all. Like that's not even a secondary or tertiary purpose. So don't make it about gains. But if you're looking to try and keep healthy, which is something that you 100% should do in Ramadan, stay healthy. Do a 45-minute workout before you break your fast or whenever you feel like it's easiest in the day. For me, I get super thirsty when I'm working out. So I need to do it at the end of the day because then I can drink water straight That's my rationale for doing it. But you're not going to be get make less gains by training in the morning it just really depends on what you want to do so what my workouts consist of is i'll have a body weight portion so i'll do some body weight training especially because we're at home i have a few dumbbells that i do some strength training with some squats some uh, bench press things like that and then i'll do a little bit of something that raises my heart rate so i'm kind of doing all of those three things that i was talking about within the same session and i'll do that six times a week I that's guess for me though that question about weights though, like a lot of people feel a bit kind of intimidated by weights and actually, especially yeah. there's a big thing, like there's a, there's a gym bro culture. Like if you go to, yeah. I mean, outside quarantine, you go to a normal gym, the weights area is just full of guys and all the body yeah. weights exercises where all the women are. Um, yeah, 100%. Which, that which needs again, to change. So um, that, that needs to change just simply because of the fact that like, if you're a, if you're a woman, uh, generally, so in terms of the science behind it, your strength capacity for your upper body, um, strength to body weight ratio, the capacity to gain that is about half as much as it is for men. So what that means is it's going to take you twice as long to gain upper body strength compared to your male counterpart. Um, 
lower body strength, it's exactly the same. So it's going to take you the exact same amount of strength at time to gain similar amounts of strength to your male counterpart. Nothing. Wait, so lower body is the same, upper body is the same. Is upper body is half. Okay. Half the potential. Um, nothing is to do with you becoming a bulky person. So if you're a, if you're a woman and worried about being bulky, first things first, if you get bulky, you're probably on some sort of testosterone replacement therapy, mm. right? Because uh, you just simply do not have enough hormone level in terms of uh, muscle growth. Uh, as as males, so you're not going to be able to reach that same potential as the males and become bulky. And if you're looking for quote unquote that toned look, which is what a lot of people go after, guys and girls, lifting weights is going to be key for that. Absolutely key for that. And lifting heavy weights as well. It's not you've got your ten pound dumbbells and you're doing all your exercises with ten pound dumbbells. Like no, you need to load a bar with a heavy squat and feel what it feels like to gain gain some actual like again we talk about human strength. You're not gaining human strength by being in the bodyweight section of the gym. <laughs> You're not doing that. So if you go into the gym 100%, and I think there's a big thing, uh, and it needs to change from both angles. So the gym so bros maybe need to the, do the guys, The guys need to get into the kitchen and the women need to get into the weight <laughs> section. Is that what you're saying? 100%. Yes, exactly. No, I'm, I'm saying that, like, look, the, the guys need to not be so scared when a woman comes in and does strength training. Right. And there also needs to be this like guys, if you're if you're with your um, other half in the gym, don't have this like toxic masculinity mentality where you think lifting weights is bad for your other half. It's not. It's actually better. If you're afraid that she's going to get stronger than you, then that's your own ego talk. Right. But 100 percent what guys need to do in the gym, those gym bros, they need to clear some space right? Not spend as much time looking in the mirror and also not spend as much time looking at the women that are coming to train themselves in the gym. And the women that are coming to train themselves in the gym, the only reason those guys are looking at you is because they're scared straight up. I'm telling you, like that is why they're, they're intimidated by the fact that there's a woman coming to do strength training, but you need to do it. If not, you need to do it more than guys do because you have less potential to gain strength. So if you want to be a strong individual, you need to be doing some I thought you were going to say, 100%. if you want to be a strong, independent woman. If you want to be a strong, independent woman. Exactly. Um, no. I, th I thought that was no, the line of <laughs> I wasn't. I'm sorry. I should have. Um, hindsight, right? I, I, had a, I had a couple of other questions before we like, start to move to wrap up. We talked about yeah. your advice for the general public, and especially yeah. with quarantine and Ramadan and things like that. Um, what's your advice to people who are kind of... Uh, Tr they're trying to get into either strength and conditioning or other form of uh, uh, other form of sport, or they're you know they're young guys become uh, trying to be, or young guys or girls uh, wanting to become athletes. Uh, what's your yeah. advice to them? Things that they should know uh, moving forward. So, so without spending too much time on it, if you're wanting to become an athlete, literally, I just made a blog that's going to come online as well. Check that out. Um, for quarantine. You need to be doing three things. And again, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but overcoming isometrics. So you can use a towel. You don't need much equipment with it. You do high velocity work. So what's what's isometric? Isometric is basically you're pushing against, an overcoming isometric is you're pushing against an immovable object. So for example, I've got a towel. I'm going to grab it with both my hands. I'm going to put my feet in the middle of that towel. I'm going to pull on the towel as hard as I can. That's going to help me gain strength. And that's to do um, with your muscles, sort of activating yeah, one, different muscle groups. 100%. And it's actually the best way to activate muscles. So during uh, quarantine, that's one of the best things you can do for your strength is you work through different positions, pushing and pulling against immovable objects, i.e. your towel or a belt or whatever. You do high velocity work. So that's things like, man, go out and sprint. Like if you're not already sprinting, go out and sprint. It's going to make you faster. And then also you basically do to maintain muscle mass during quarantine. If you don't have a lot of equipment, make sure that towards the end of your workout, all of your sets are going to near failure. So if you're doing a squat or a push-up, go to about two or three reps left in the tank, stop, rest, do it again. That's going to create a lot of time and attention for your muscle. And that's how you're going to end up growing your muscle more. Right, that's in quarantine. If you're an athlete outside of quarantine, man, the main thing is you need to get out of the gym bro mentality. Like a squat is great for building. And I used the example. Here we go. I'm gonna go ahead and use this. Oh, so wow, you've this got a is, prop. Oh, okay. I've got a prop. It's just a cup. Exactly. It's just a cup. 
So what this is, is for an athlete, strength training is equiv the equivalent of your cup, right? This is your mug, whatever. Like it's this big because you've done this amount of strength training to make it this big, i.e. your muscles, your body is this big, right? What I'm interested in as an athlete is actually the things that help my performance. So power, speed, everything like that is the water that I pour into the cup. Now, when you look at a cup with water in it, especially during Ramadan when everyone's thirsty, what are you interested in? Are you interested in the cup? Or are you interested in drinking the water? Interested in drinking the water, right? But I can only fill this cup up to so high before it starts to overspill. And then I can't drink the water that's then spilt on the floor, right? So I'm not getting any more benefit out of it, right? Strength training is that. Strength training is building the vessel so that you can then put the sports performance in it. But you need to be doing speed, power, everything like that until you reach your capacity of your cup. Then I'm not interested in this one anymore. I just want to upgrade. I want this. And oh, now no, what I that is, bro? That looks like a candle it's, or something. It's a candle. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, basically, you, out, you've made your... <laughs> You've made your cup you've made a lot bigger. You made your lota a lot bigger. So one hundred percent. You made your lota a lot bigger, and that is where you can help with sports performance. Is that like strength training is the vessel, but you need to add to it like power. You need to be moving at a high velocity. You need to be doing plyometrics. You need to be doing all these kinds of things to become an athlete that the gym might not necessarily help you with. Like the gym, most gyms don't have a hundred meter track where you can sprint. So like you're going to have to go outside and do some sprint training and stuff like that. And that's kind of my main thing for, um, for athletes that are looking to improve their sports performance is that you need to be, again, look at the vector that you move in as an athlete and move in that plane. That's how you're going to become a better athlete. And that's kind of my generic advice for athletes that, that that's where it would be just really quickly something that's super close to my heart and i think again it's because uh of our culture of like generally our asian culture and i'm not going to say muslim culture because it isn't muslim culture it's asian culture a lot of yeah treats our, our women as like you know they need to be in the house they need to be homebodies you know again in terms of physical activity it's like that old school mentality where it's like, you know, why do they need, need to, to do sport? Why, yeah, do they like, need what, to why, why do you need to be? What well, I mean, I'm sorry, then, but if you want a long life, you need to be active. That's it. It's as simple as that. So if you are worried about that mentality, you need to find a way out of it because you need to make sure that you're active. And if you are the male that's holding down people that, that, that want to, that want to standing train, for the patriarchy. Okay. 100%. If, if, if you're that kind of person, you need to chill out because everyone needs to be active. It's not about, you know, all oh, women are going to become bulky. Like you're not, you don't have the genetic potential to become bulky unless you juice that potential a little bit. Right. Mm. So you're not going to be, you're not going to be this big bulky woman. That, <laughs> even if you are, it doesn't matter. But that's why you know, you need to get into activity. Everyone needs to make sure that they're doing some strength training, something that raises your heart rate and something that like kills you. You need to be doing those three things all the time to make sure that you're healthy. And if you're not doing those three things, you're missing something. That goes for guys and girls. We're out of this mentality where girls need to be at home and doing nothing. That's, that's so outdated. Shouldn't even be a thing anymore, but it is. And even in the gym, you see it, right? Like you said, the guys are in the weight section, the girls are on the treadmill. Stop it. Just stop it. A, There's no science to back lot of, that. A lot of rage kind of. Uh, 100%. Like you've, got, you've got that pent well, this up. Is, this is why I became a strength and conditioning coach in part because inshallah, when I make it to like that top level of strength and conditioning in, in the pro sports and stuff like that, I want to be able to, you know, get rid of all of these mentalities within our own community. Like, you know, the Western world doesn't have that idea in terms of women and training. It doesn't have it as much, but the Eastern world still does because we don't believe that, you know, everyone should be equal in that way. Like you need to be, you need to be training. Everyone needs to be training for your health. I guess I had a couple of closing questions. I don't know if you want to go for it. If you, if you have anything Ahmed, that you want to bring up. Not really. No, I think one question I've always thought about is, you know, speaking to like elders and stuff, um, yeah. Muslim, Muslim elders, a lot of them feel like, I feel that there's a sense of false sense of security when they think that, oh yeah, um, we've got a lot of 
you know, access things in our religion. We've got Ramadan, you know, because it gives us weight loss. We've got Salah, you know, we do this many rakahs, uh, these different, you know, movements. So I think, do you, have you, do you think that, that contributes, you know, like, do you think our deen contributes to living a healthy lifestyle and whether that gives you a false sense of security? Um, I think our deen can contribute to you living a healthy lifestyle, but it's in not the activities that we do within our deen, it's in the mentality that we create through our deen. So Ramadan is an activity that is based within our deen. Cool. But it ain't going to make you healthy. Like, stop thinking. Well, if, just if you're stop. just going to have... If you're just going to have fried foods if, at yeah. the end of the day, it's not going to make you healthy. Plus, on top of that, the, the people, I think, a lot of the time, and you see even in the young Muslim communities, a lot of the time... Um, there's this thing of, oh, well, fasting is really good for fat loss. Research shows that it's good for fat loss and things like that. That's why you then, see a lot of And then Salah is like some sort of yoga. It's basically... Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. But just like yoga, if you don't do the movements properly, you're not going to get anything out of it. So, if, again, no, it doesn't work like that. Um, but, yeah, talking about fasting and fat loss, uh, a lot of people are on the intermittent fasting hype because, you know, there's quote-unquote research that shows that when you're in a fasted state, you do you have more lipolysis, which is burning of fat. Now, what the fat that you're oxidizing is the fat that's within your bloodstream, not, within, not, the, not the belly fat. Visceral, so, yeah. 100%. So you're not going to be getting rid of that. Like, you're not going to get rid of that subcutaneous, the stuff that's on the surface, the stuff that makes you look puffy when you're fasting. That's not how it works. Also, what happens is when you're in a fasted state, you do prefer fat oxidation as your fuel source. But later on in the day, you then prefer carbohydrates. So actually what you're doing is you then balance it out to the same as if you weren't fasting. So really what it's about if you're looking to lose weight is you need to be eating less or putting... Um, putting less calories in than what you're burning every day. And the only way to burn more is to do more as well. Like you need to be able to do more. That's just a basic equation. But do, um, you, do you kind of go down that school of thought where you're doing a lot of calorie counting? Um, um, so I think calorie counting can be good, but you know, again, the answer is it depends. Are you someone that is very meticulous in everything that you do in life? Yes, you're a type A personality, or maybe calorie counting is for you then. Because that gives you some form of control and, and you can see. I recommend everyone calorie counts at least one time in their life so you can realize how much is actually in your food. It's a great way to figure that out because a lot of people don't realize how much is in their food or what 30 grams of cereal looks like. A lot well, I, think of it's, put, I think it's things like, because sometimes you buy things packaged and you can read the label, but actually um, if you do a lot of home cooking, especially if you just, you know, kind of get a bit liberal with the oil when you're making a curry. 100%. Um, and, and again, it comes down you to that know. immigrant mindset. Immigrant uh, food is very calorie rich. Um, 100%. What, what about and, things and like... Again, that's okay. What, what's, um, your, what's your view on things like keto or Atkins diet or those type of kind of so, crap? So again, all, all, of, all of these diets, um, they work by creating what's called a calorie deficit. So what that means is the energy that you put into your body is less than the energy that you take out of your body, i.e. through just normal basal metabolic rate, which is what you burn when you sat down doing nothing, what you burn when you're active, what you burn when you're walking around, stuff like that. What you eat needs to be less than that. So if you talk about keto, what's the one thing with keto? You're, like you're doing it right now, right? So what's the thing like, with keto? It's like almost no carbs. And right, then... cool. So you've taken out a whole macronutrient from the... You've taken out one of three macronutrients. You have protein, fat, carbohydrate. So you've just taken out carbohydrate. Well, of course yeah. you're going to be in a calorie deficit then. Because you've taken out one third of the kind of things that used yeah. to make up your food. Now, the way you don't lose weight with keto or with any other diet is if you then replace those calories with mm. more fat, more you know things like that that's when you end up not losing weight yeah so if you're struggling like one and then even then there's a big weight, there's a common crash and then just yeah, kind of one, two months 100%. later you put all the all 10 kilos back exactly and that's the big thing with diet and especially with asians man like don't go on a low carb diet if you're an asian person because your chances are you're probably eating a lot of bread or a lot of rice so now you cut that out trust me you're going to come back to it 
So the best diet is the one that works for your lifestyle because it's the one that you can turn into a lifestyle, right? That's what's key is that it needs to be sustainable. Otherwise you're not going to do it. Also, if you're in a weight loss phase, don't be in a weight, weight loss phase for like more than three months. If it's come back past three months and you've realized I haven't lost any weight, well, just keep doing what you're doing, but don't think about it as weight loss because that can affect your mentality towards food as well. And that's super important. So what make mean, sure that uh, you're, so you're if, on the, if, like you're starting to have a bad relationship with food and you feel negative mm, whenever you eat. 100% because now you're thinking if I've done a diet for three months, but secretly I have, I've been eating way more food than I should have. Right. Uh, what you can do for that three months is you're going to put yourself into this mentality. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. And then you jump on the scales three months later and you haven't lost a single pound. Well, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to develop this relationship that diets, food, it doesn't matter. I'm just destined to not lose weight. Mm. Right. And that's not the truth. So if you've been, been out of three months and it hasn't worked, take a few months off, come back to it with a new mentality and try something new. But keep the point is trial and error. Keep trying something. Do everything that fits within your lifestyle as well. Just reduce. That's the main thing is just reduce. But do I guess your, you want to do. Your, your big takeaway was that statement that the best diet is the one that you can implement into your life. I think you said that. 100%. The best words. diet for you is the one that you can turn into a lifestyle. Okay. Simple yeah. as that. Um, I think yeah, man. So uh, the, 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 uh, just to finish off your question, Ahmed, like the big thing with that is, yeah, we can get super complacent because we think, oh, I'm being super active through my religion. I'm losing weight through Ramadan, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is that to stimulate adaptation, which is better for you, you know, muscle growth, health of your heart, everything like that, you need to actually stimulate it. And these activities don't. But the method, the methodology and the understanding behind Islam is that in order to be a functioning Muslim, you have to be able to do all of these things well. You need to be healthy for that, right? Mm. You can't fast if you have diabetes. You get diabetes by not exercising and, and eating too much. So <laughs> at least one of the types of diabetes anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, so yeah, 100%, you're putting yourself at risk if you then don't take ownership of your own, your own health. And that comes from that Islamic mentality of take ownership of yourself because everything that you do has to be justified to Allah on the day of judgment. Everything, including what you put in your mouth every single day of the, of, of the year. Is that, is that a hadith? Or? I'm not sure. I'm just a saying. Sure. It sounds more like a saying. So the, the sound <laughs> mind is saying. in a sound body. Um, yeah. But Sam, we've really enjoyed this. Really appreciate your time. Um, no problem, and uh, hopefully we'll, I mean, I think we, we segued into a lot of topics. So we talked about health and the immigrant lifestyle and some of the things. And we actually never got to cover why you moved to America and those things, but maybe that'll be a future episode. Um, yes. I think you mentioned you have some blogs online. So how do people yeah. find you on social media, Instagram, So you can find me, I'm mainly on Instagram at 5-4-performance. So literally just the letters, 5-4-performance pretty easy i don't have like three e's after my name like people do <laughs> so pretty easy to find uh my name's osama mustafa so that'll be on there too um i also am just designing a website and right i've used this quarantine period because i've been super busy with coaching at the gym so i've kind of used this quarantine period to update my online presence okay. um i'm online now you can go on my website at 54performance.com so that okay. is the website if it That's changes i'll nice. let you know that's yeah. very nice. I haven't, uh, I haven't paid for the domain name yet. So, <laughs> what, okay. what, what does 54 stand for? Okay, so th that's a, that, that, I'm not going to go into the depths of it, but 5454 right. was my number while I played at university. Uh, okay. I found strength and conditioning through university. I actually met my wife through the sport stuff at university. Um, she wasn't a cheerleader. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and yeah, like I met some great mentors and I figured out what I wanted to do with life through five, four. And on top of that, we had lots of winning and losing seasons. We went through a lot as the team together and me as, as, as the captain, I, I put it on myself and regardless of what the number of wins versus the number of losses were five, four so for me. 50, 54 is, is an important number in your life. 50, 54 exactly it was an important number in my life it just means hard work and dedication to the cause right to the end so Very that's nice. why i named Very my nice. business that i appreciate that um 
Uh, no, we, uh, I mean, listeners can uh, can email us at podcast at themiddlewest.co.uk. Um, some of these topics, they come from recommendations, from emails. Um, you can also join our team. We're looking for more members, both as guest hosts and as researchers. Um, and you can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and Twitter on at the Middlewest PC and at the Middlewest Podcast. Uh, and we look forward to seeing you in another couple of weeks with another episode. Uh, that's it from the Middle West podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Thanks.